If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. So in this episode of Mind Pump, we interview uh, one of our favorite people, Amelia Boone, a decorated OCR racer. Now, is this the first time that she came out and talked um, publicly about her eating disorder? I know she taught, I know she's written blogs about it, right. but has she been on a podcast and actually talked to have a discussion? I'm pretty sure it's the first time. I don't think so. And, and you know, she's, uh, we commend her. Uh, it's really hard to talk about something this personal and this challenging, especially when you're, you know, people have kind of put you up on a pedestal. You know, she's uh, someone a lot of people look up to in the, in that racing space and she's been battling um issues with with food for a very very long time she actually admitted herself um to to have help so that's what we talk a lot about in this episode that whole process like what started it when did she first notice she had problems um why this time she told herself okay i need to get help what that process all looks like like what does it look like for her to to deal with this issue how did it affect her training um, her workouts, all that stuff. Really, um, really good episode with uh, anybody who who struggles with eating. Uh, I think this is a, a really, really good episode to listen to. Listening to, I mean, just interviewing her and listening to her work uh, work this all out and what what she's gone through. And um, I think I think this is one of those episodes that could really help a lot of people out that may go through something very similar, uh, but don't share or talk a lot about it to other people. Yeah, we really appreciate her for for doing this because I know there's people out there who listen to the show who may be struggling with some of these issues themselves, and so it helps to hear someone like Amelia, who's as decorated as she is and as accomplished as she is, struggle with those same uh, issues. Um, now you can find her on Instagram at arboon11. So that's a r b o o n e eleven. She has a nice, a uh, good Instagram page. She also has a website. Amelia Boone Racing, um, dot com. Again, she's a four-time world champion. She's also the athlete that helped us write Maps OCR. She had mm-hmm. a lot of input. Just got second place in that recently. program. Mm-hmm. Now, before that, uh, this episode starts uh, this month. The, one of the biggest sales we'll do all year. Maps Anabolic is fifty percent off. It's one of the most popular programs that we offer. It's a phenomenal strength building, metabolism boosting program. It's It's also where we recommend most people start. This is the program that most of you listening right now will benefit the most from. This is where you're going to get the best results. Um, And it's also our most popular program by far. So it's half off. Here's how you get the discount. You go to mapsred.com. That's M-A-P-S-R-E-D.com and use the code RED50, R-E-D-5-0, no space for the discount. We all got together, what has it been? Well, besides the program, we did the OCR right. together. But the last time we interviewed was like- Two years ago about- It's been two years. Because it? it was, yeah, because I was thinking about it. It was right after Spartan Race World Championships uh, in Tahoe, 2017. Because right. then I had my, it was where I like shattered oh, my yeah. finger. That's and right. So I had my little like, my little splint on my pinky, which <laughs> still will not sit straight. But- <laughs> I didn't do my rehab. Yeah. It's been a long one. time. Then. It has been a little yeah. while. Yeah. How now? How are things going for you now? There's been some 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 stuff that you've talked about on yeah. social media and kind of put out there. Let's talk about that for a second. When did you go come out and tell everybody like here's what's what's happening? Break that down for us so the audience kind of follows along. Yeah, yeah. So I um, so this past this past winter, I guess, um, or past spring, um, I went into a intensive, uh, eating disorder treatment facility. And so it was a day, it was a day program. It was, you know, like eight, 8 AM to 6 PM. Um, but, and then I slept at home and every, or slept, actually I was at my sister's staying in Seattle. Um, but then, so I was there for about three months and, um, it was actually in July. Um, so I'd come back to the Bay area and come back, started work, um, everything like that again, cause I took a leave of absence. And that's when I really kind of made the decision to, to come out and to talk about it. Um, I think I remember Sal, actually we last year in Tahoe, I remember chatting with you about, um, about my history with eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew at the time as I was thinking at that time that I, was not in a good spot and I needed, I needed more intensive help, but it was kind of like, 
getting back to that space, getting back to that point where I was like, okay, yes, I'm going to uproot my life and I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of like planting those seeds. Um, So yeah, so that was, that was the timeline. It was, um, I was there in treatment from um, about April through the end of June. Um, now, I, I uh, very strongly related to you when we had first discussed this uh, yeah. in Tahoe, because I have also dealt with my own uh, body image issues. And I'm sure if you went back and examined how I ate, uh, I'm pretty sure I would have, uh, you could have diagnosed me with some some eating disorders. Um, and I've worked with lots of, uh, of people around it. Um, it's extremely difficult and personal to talk about. And mm-hmm. so, and, but you came out and you, and you talked about it. So you're extremely courageous. Well, I, really I would imagine that. too in, in your position, because you have so many fucking eyes on you. I think it's already a tough thing to discuss yeah, just to tell your family for, I mean, cause I've dealt with tons of clients and that's already, it's very sensitive with just us and family and talking about it. But somebody who's got so much attention on them, I can't imagine the pressure that you felt of having to come out and talk about that. Yeah, but to be totally honest, I felt worse keeping it in. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, because this, I'm not new to this rodeo. It's not like I, my entire life, I was great, and then at the age of 35, I suddenly realized I had an issue with food. You know, I was, I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was about when I was 15, 16 years old, oh, wow. mm-hmm. and so I was hospitalized um, as a very medically unstable type of hospitalization while I was a sophomore in high school, um, and I was in the hospital from like Thanksgiving to Christmas then. Um, medically stabilized and then I went through I went through recovery and recovery is a bit different back in the late 90s um you know like the the science around eating disorders and the treatment models have evolved since then um and then I kind of in the last 20 years went through varying cycles of doing pretty well and then kind of falling back into it and then I did a stint in a residential facility um after I graduated college um, and then really when I started sports, when I did started into athletics, I kind of thought it was like all in my past. Mm. I kind of thought like, yeah, you know, like I'm in a good spot. This is like, this is in the past. Like it's kind of there, but not so much anymore. Um, and then as I was, as I was winning and I was doing really well and I was winning world championships and I knew my relationship with food wasn't great, but I was in the back of my mind, I was like, well, I'm winning like, and I'm like I'm performing really well and everything seems to be clicking. So it's not really an issue, but then the injury started Mm. and then everything kind of started. And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm doing, I'm told myself, I'm like, I'm doing everything right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like my mileage is really low. Like I'm doing all the rehab, I'm doing all the prehab and everything that I should be doing. And I'm like, all my blood work was normal, et cetera. But I just I knew in the back of my mind it had to be something related to food and not being able to really admit that to myself at first, but then also to be able to like kind of admit that to others and be like, this is what's going on. Like, I know why I have four stress fractures in three years. You know, I'm clearly not feeding myself appropriately. I just couldn't like. I knew what I needed to do to get back to the sport that I wanted to do and to love and to to be there healthily, but I just like couldn't get there myself. Mm-hmm. And you're 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 speaking to a lot of um, people who uh, struggle with these types of things, especially a lot of young women. Mm-hmm. Is that part of what kind of motivated you to, to talk about this? Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's it is so prevalent. It is so prevalent. And it, it, and part of the reason why I actually like did not look at doing treatment for a really long time is because I looked around and I was like, the entire world is disordered as Mm -hmm. shit. Mm -hmm. Like everybody seems to have issues with food. So maybe I'm just normal, you know, maybe I'm since, maybe since we all are like fucked up with our relationship with food, like why should I do something about it? Cause it seems like everybody's on some crazy diet Mm -hmm. um, or everyone has issues. And I actually remember one of my exes telling me, he's like, when I came out to him and I was like, you know, I have this long history with an eating disorder. And he looks at me and he's like, you have an issue with food? You're not special. So does every other woman. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. Okay. So maybe it's not an issue, but I'm like, no, it is. And it needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. What, what are some, for the people listening, what are some, cause it can be quite insidious. You can, yeah. you can really talk yourself out of 
doing something about it or even even identifying it, what are some of the the, the triggers that tend to? Well, let's talk about for you, for example, mm-hmm. that you've had this uh, where you've been treated for this a couple times. What are the things that kind of push you over where you feel like, okay, now now I'm going a little too far. Is it stress? Is it the feeling of control? Or is it something else? Yeah. I mean, I, I will caveat this entire conversation by saying that I, I'm speaking from my experience of N equals one here. So I, I try not to speak for anybody else who is uh, going through this because the one thing that I've learned is that, especially with eating disorders, is that no two look exactly right. the same. Sure. Everything is different. For me, I've kind of I've pinned down that it really is um, very situational in terms of that. I struggled way more when I was injured because I kind of with with I, I need a challenge. I am I am driven by challenge mm-hmm. in my life. And unfortunately, the food, the being able to withhold food from myself became this weird kind of fucked up challenge mm. in my mind. Cause to be honest, the vast majority of it was not about shaping my body to be how like you know what I wanted to look like I literally would look at myself and be like I don't really care what I look like I just want to be healthy and running but like then there was this part of me that was just keeping me from being able to do that and so I think for me in situations where I was injured or where I didn't have anything else like a a challenge of a race or, or something else going on in my life I would fall back to kind of like the safety of of the restriction of food was was that for me. Mm, so you feel brought to life by challenge? Yes. Oh, I see. When you were younger, um, was it the same thing? Same feeling? It was very much, I, I think so. Yeah. When I, when it first started, um, it was almost this kind of like weird game to myself where it was like, how little can I get by on and things like that. And it just kind of, it spiraled and took a life of its own. And what happens, and this is this is so true when you start to limit your world of things that you're comfortable with. So especially with food, if you start restricting, if you start taking out food groups, if you start taking out, then like your world of what's safe gets smaller and smaller. And then you just, and so, and then it, 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 everything just compresses until eventually you just are scared of everything. Um, And that was really kind of what happened to me. It's Mm -hmm. like, I would go to try and sit down and eat a meal and I would just be petrified of everything on the plate in front of me. So when you took the the three months off yeah. um, and you were in there, where do you have to, I mean, do they have you work on like unpacking it all the way to your childhood to where like, where did this all start? Like, what was, was something said to you? Did you see something? And then all of a sudden that trigger, like, do yeah. you, did you dive into all that? Yeah. In various, in various realms, <laughs> you do. I think a lot of people, what I've kind of come to is that everybody, it would be much, much easier for me to point, to have something to point to in my life and be like, this is the reason why I have an eating disorder. Um, This is the trauma. This is, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is what I went through. And because of that, I'm like this. I don't have that. Um, Because honestly, I am extremely fortunate in that I had an extremely loving family, a very, very stable family, one where diets were not talked about. My parents were never on diets. They all had very healthy relationships with food. No one was ever telling me that I needed to change my body. Um, So I believe that there is a a lot um, of value in kind of unpacking and trying to figure out like the origins of it, but at a certain point, I don't think it matters anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't think that the reasons the, like looking at being able to point to something and be like, yes, this is it. Mm -hmm. I, for me, I haven't found any type of relief or aha moments. Yeah. I feel like the only value to that is if you can pinpoint things that trigger behaviors. Correct. And if you can't, then you're right. It probably doesn't matter that much. It could be anything. Now, Amelia, you're, you're a a very accomplished uh, young woman. Um, You're you're, the job that you do, your education, your, the the sports that you've competed in and, and succeeded in. Were you always like this? Were you like this as a kid? Mm-hmm. And what would happen when you were uh, just when you would do something and it was amazing? You get, I'm sure, you get lots of praise. When you weren't in a position where you're feeling challenged, what did that feel like, or what does that feel like for you? Does it feel 
do you feel lost? Do you feel like I don't, I have nothing to, to, to fight for or towards? Yeah, I think that's actually fair. I think you just psychologically unpacked me there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately, and this is what we see a lot with mental health issues and, and disorders is that the things the the kind of the internal intrinsic motivations and the characteristics that you have that make you excel in so many areas of your life are also the ones that drive you into like mental health disorders. Mm. Um, And I've actually done quite a bit of work around not trying to demonize my eating disorder because frankly, the things that have brought me a lot of success in life also probably drove that. And so it's kind of like, okay, you are a piece of me. You are a coping mechanism when, when times got really hard and I didn't have the tools in the toolbox to be able to cope in better, healthier, quote unquote ways. But like, I don't need you anymore. Like mm-hmm. I have other tools in the toolkit now. Yeah. I, I've, uh, the way I've thought of that, because I have, there's, I have similar, similar um, feelings around that, even for myself. And the way I viewed it is that it's this dragon that I'm that I'm using and flying to take me where I want to go, but I need to make, maintain control. Mm-hmm. If I let go and let the dragon do what it wants, then it'll burn me. It'll kill me. And so it's like, rather than demonizing, it's, okay, this is part of my tools. This is part of who I am. And you are a very successful person. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you've mm-hmm. accomplished quite a bit. So to say I'm not going to do that anymore and I'm just going to not try to find challenges, that sounds like you would have to be a different person. Yeah. And I think that I actually kind of, I, I've realized I kind of overcorrected in certain ways when I was, I was so, so, so focused on challenge and sport and winning. And then I thought I could kind of morph myself into this person. That's like, I just want love the experience. I don't really (laughs) care. Like I don't care about results and blah, 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 blah. But it never, as much as I do love the process and everything like that, it, it never really rang true to me. So I kind of was going back and forth between these extremes. And now I'm trying to kind of find this middle mm. of, of, of where you can sit between that. Cause I actually, while I was in um, treatment um, up in Seattle, I remember my therapist who was a D run D one runner herself, you know, she was very accomplished athlete and I was talking about racing and winning and she's like, why is wanting to win a bad thing? And I, and I sat there and I was like, it's such a simple question. And, and I'm like, well, I guess it's not. It's just how you cope if you don't win, mm-hmm. you know. Don't and let I, it define you exactly. or, ident- or don't identify mm. with like, if I don't win, then what am I? I was yeah. like, okay, but you can definitely go after winning. Yeah. You had talked about how treatments have changed would you would you mind going into kind of what that looks like? Because I feel like the people that I've worked with in the past, and I'm not I'm not an expert on this. I'm just a trainer, but I have had clients who I've helped direct in terms of who to seek out and, and find help. One of the big reasons why they one of the big struggles I've I've seen in the past is the the fear of what that looks like. Well, what are they going to do? What's this going to look like? Are they going to force me to eat a bunch of food? Are they going to you know, what does that process look like for somebody who's like, okay, I think I may have an issue. What are the steps to take and what can they expect to go through? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and actually one that I had to think really long and hard about because it had been, you know, 10, 15 years since I'd last been through treatment. Um, so I think that things have changed back, back when I initially, like 10, 15, 20 years ago, people kind of viewed a recovery from an eating disorder, kind of like an addiction model. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of 12-step programs and there's a lot of, you know, I'm powerless over food and and things like that. Um, and that model still can work. But I think that a lot of people realize, unlike, I think AA and I think that other 12-step programs are amazing, amazing tools. I mean, phenomenal. I love the community. Um, but the issue with food is that like, unlike alcohol or drugs in which you can just abstain you need right food. <laughs> yeah. you have to eat to live yeah. and unfortunately I feel like we've really lost sight of that as a society and I won't go into that right now but um <laughs> like you need food to live um and so treating it like an addiction um and abstaining from it doesn't really work um so now I think a lot of what it is is learning that, all foods are good foods. All foods are, I, I think it's eliminate a big focus now in eating disorder treatment 
um, is to let go of like the rules around it and really kind of this notion of that there is a place for all foods and that any type you time you try and diet, anytime you try and restrict, anytime you try and like manipulate, like you are actually just only further spiraling and making your relationship with food more chaotic and disordered. Um, so, I mean, in terms of actual like practical, if somebody's like, okay, I have an issue, I think I have an issue with food, where do I go from here? And so I think number one is is making calls, like said, um, you know, I just went to Google and started searching eating disorder treatment facilities, you know, the Bay Area, beyond, things like that. And generally, like you'll kind of start, I knew I needed a higher level of care because um, I knew that I was trying to do it on my own and it wasn't working. Um, but you know, for most people it's make a call, find a therapist who specializes in eating disorders, find a dietitian who, um, has a certification in eating disorders. Um, and then kind of like go from there and feel out how much support you need. And, you know, it could be once a week appointments with your therapist, with your dietitian, or there are, you know, programs that are like three hours a day for a few times a week and you have some meal support and things like that. So there's all different levels and structures. I'm glad you said that because you can definitely go at your own pace. Yeah. Because it can be very scary to think, oh my gosh, I'm going to seek out help. Now I got to change right. and tackle everything, which can be terrifying. Now for you, yeah. when you went to Seattle, this was like, you're there for three months, right? Yeah. So I, I knew... Um, yeah, I mean, I was there. I, I didn't know how long I was going to be there, okay. um, but it's very much like, okay, I'm committing to this program, mm. um, and then it's kind of open-ended. So, yeah, I took a leave of absence from work um, and everything like that, and I understand, like, I'm fortunate to have the luxury of a job where I'm, you know, have coverage, short-term disability, where I can take a leave of absence. But, yeah, I was there. Okay, and then what is that? Can you tell? I mean, I, I have no experience with yeah. someone who's been to something like that, so what is... What do your days look like? Is mm -hmm. it like all counseling? Is it, I mean, are you, are you meeting in groups? Like, what does it yeah. look like there? Yeah. It's a lot of talking about your feelings. <laughs> um, and I know it was, I'm, I'm laughing because sure we were talking, yeah. but yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, it was 10 hours a day for me. Um, and this was, so it was 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, and we would do all of our meals and snacks there. So it was together. Three, together. Is there other, okay. Yeah. So there, it was a group of, um, there were about, I think there was a cap of like 12 people that could be in the full day patient. So it was a very, it was a very small group. Um, and um, so we would do all of our meals together there, all of our snacks there together. And then it was different programs during the day. It was different um, groups. So there was always like a process group where we did, where we talked about things and emotions that were coming up. And then there was a um, groups around exploring your relationship with movement and with exercise. There were groups around um you know, learning about uh, health at every size, learning about intuitive eating. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a very, and then there were things where we'd do like restaurant outings and meal outings um, to okay. kind of like. Now, did you choose this place because you saw that, uh, you know, they were more geared towards athletes or mm -hmm. that there some like some therapists on staff, like sort of had something similar that they could relate with you or. Yeah, there were a few factors in it. I really wanted a program that understood athletes um, because another thing that I was used to in my um, in my treatment back uh, when I was in high school and then when I did a stint in residential treatment um, was that exercise and movement is just cut off, forbidden. Like you're not allowed to move. And I kind of knew for me that that was not realistic. And I wanted to actually really explore my relationship with running and sport and to figure out if that was part of the disorder, if it was if it was making my disorder worse, if it was actually a healthy outlet for mm -hmm. me. Like I really needed to unpack that relationship. And I feel like so that's why I was looking for a program that really specialized in that and where there were people who they weren't going to say like, no, you can't do this. And so actually part of one of my therapists would go on runs with me mm -hmm. okay. and we would talk about awesome. what I was feeling and talk about like why I was doing and what is it that's motivating me? What was the, what was the most difficult part about it? I think, I mean, I, well, there are a number of things, but really it is when you kind of, when you eliminate all the distractions from your life. So when you eliminate your 
your your coping mechanisms of staying super busy of distracting or if I um, you know I took away my coping mechanisms of being able to restrict food to feel better about myself what happens is like all of your emotions come up and you just have to sit with them oh. and it's very interesting for me because I always joked about how I like I don't have feelings or I don't have emotions but really I was just like tamping them down and suppressing them all and they just flooded back. And all of a sudden, like, I was just a sobbing, crying mess at everything. And I was just feeling everything. But for the first time, it actually was phenomenal because I was actually getting in touch with what I was feeling. Like, I was actually feeling. I was not just thinking about feeling. I was actually feeling. Mm. Um, and so I think that was, like, really, really hard. But when you learn, like, when difficult emotions come up, What's amazing is that they pass. I was so scared that a difficult emotion would uh, emotion would come up and like it would just never go away and I'd be like stuck in that emotion. But no, it was like after a while it just it it goes and then the next one pops up. So yeah. Was there a moment in the 3 months where you felt like you personally had like a major breakthrough? Like was there kind of like an aha or like oh my god that I, like you felt like you could see the light at the end of the tunnel at one point? <laughs> You know, there was an, I don't think, I wish there was one big aha moment, and but there were definitely kind of like ebbs and flows and there were, there would be really, really good days. And then I would have really, really bad days. And, um, and it was just, it, it was just kind of this whirlwind. I think that it, very much what I kind of needed to prepare myself for is that it gets worse before it gets better. Mm. Um, and so, and I think that's very common is that you feel like, oh, you're like, okay, I'm going into treatment. I'm seeking help. And like, it's only going to go up from here. Oh no. Like, I mean, you start to go through like really difficult stuff when you take away your coping mechanisms. Um, that's why you have that support around you. Um, yeah. So. Especially if you're afraid of feeling, it's like, now you're going to, now you're going <laughs> to yeah. feel. Now you're going to feel. Yeah. And it, by the way, that's super common. I think everybody's yeah. afraid of feeling uh, bad feelings, but the only way to get them to get out of you is to feel them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, when you would, were there, was there ever a moment during that process where you're like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. Uh, every, stop. every single day. Mm. And at oh, least wow. the, I mean, after the first day I almost packed up and oh, packed shit. up my car and drove back down to San wow. Jose. Cause I was also very much like, I remember them being like, yes, and this is what you're going to eat and things like, and I was like, uh, no, like what are I, I'm an athlete. Like what, what do you mean? Like, why would you, why would I be drinking orange juice and eating cheesecake? Like these are things that, <laughs> you know, like I, I just, I couldn't wrap my brain around, around that. And I just was like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. And, but I had to go through that kicking and screaming phase. Oh, wow. Now, because you're so, uh, driven by challenge, were you able to apply that to this process? <laughs> Yeah. So what it, what was actually the best thing is as I was able to, and it took a while, but kind of shift that, that thinking of the challenge of that. I'm like, okay, well, so for me, it used to be the disorder was like the, the challenge would be to see like, you know, how little I could eat or how little I could get by mm -hmm. on. Now the challenge is to think of the hardest and the scariest thing to do, which is probably like, you know, the super scary food to eat and to do that. And so I was, mm -hmm. I've been able to kind of flip that. Um, but that's, it takes some constant work. Now I know everybody's unique in this and, and yeah. every story is different, but do you, do you notice that, are there some common behaviors or the thing like the sneaking of food or the, you know, avoiding certain things or running straight to the bathroom or emotion coming up after meals? Like, are there some common things? Is, are there, were there some common things that you found with other people? What's really interesting um, and something that I did not expect is that eating disorders, they take all different forms and ever, you know, so there's anorexia and bulimia and binge eating disorder, compulsive overeating. Uh, there's an entire spectrum. Some people don't fit clearly into one, um, in, into, into one or the other. Um, and actually what's incredible is that the same, the same language, like that, I could be in a room and talking to somebody who had a completely, who maybe more struggled with compulsive overeating, but we would have a very common kind of yeah. like feeling mm -hmm. underlying it. And then the other thing too, and this would became very, very aware for me because at Opal, at my treatment facility, there were um, people in all different sizes of bodies. 
And that actually, um, you know, some of the clients who were in much, much larger bodies actually were restricting probably just as much as I was. It's just that their bodies look totally different. And that was even probably even harder for them. And that was very, very cognitive, like a very kind of light bulb moment for me where I started to realize that like weight and, um, you know, how your body looks isn't entirely within your control, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's really important. Yeah, there's a large part of it that isn't within your control. Neither, uh, nonetheless, identifying so strongly with your body, that can, that's, a, that's, a, that's a recipe for failure. No, yeah. I, yeah. I find it really interesting, too, that you, you know, in my experience, most of the people that have gone through something similar, they actually normally have like some serious childhood trauma and you talk about having a really good childhood. So, you know, what was that like? What has that been like for your family and your parents? I mean, I'm assuming they obviously knew they've mm-hmm. known since you were. And then as you've gotten older, are they, have they constantly been in the back of your head saying things to you when you were running and doing things like that? Or have they just kind of hands off, let you be your be your own woman and figure it out yourself? What has that been like? Yeah. My parents have, I mean, it's only, I've, I've only come to appreciate recently how hard it must have been for them um, watching me go through all this. They've been very much, very hands off. Like they were never going to, they were never going to push me into anything. You know, they're like, you're an adult, like you make your own decisions. We're here. We love and support you. Um, When I called them up and I was like, I'm going into treatment. They're like, oh, you know, and they're like, we love and support, you know, but but it wasn't something that we're like, where it was kind of like on their radar. Um, but, and, but I think that the thing that I kind of, that I understand and appreciate now, um, and, you know, I'm not a parent, so I can't, um, so I can't identify with this is that like, they probably felt like they were doing something wrong mm. and because they were watching their daughter, like starve herself to death and they didn't know what to do. And I just wanted to say to them, I was like, it's, you're not doing anything wrong. Like sometimes, I don't know if it's genetics, we just all get a little bit fucked up in the head, but like some, and so parents have reached out to me and been like, what can I do to make sure my child doesn't develop an eating disorder? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, model good relationships with food, like don't, don't champion diets, like don't withhold food from them. I was like, but sometimes you can do everything right and your child is still going to have a problem, right. you know? Oh, com- completely, 100%. What, thi- what things now, since you've been back from Seattle, are, are, there, are there things that you started to have implemented into your life that are new now? Like that are like, I mean, we were just talking off air before this, we were talking about Ryan Holiday's new book about stillness. Are, yeah. there, are you incorporating meditation? Are there certain things that you're doing to check in? Like, are, are there new things in your life Life since you've been out? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've realized is that I need to set up when you go from a highly structured environment um, where you have like 10 hours of your day that are like fully structured and you have all the support, and at any given moment, you can pull a therapist aside and just ball your eyes out and work through stuff. And then you come back to real life and you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> yeah. life is not like that. <laughs> um, and so I was really setting up guardrails and support system. And and so for me, and this is really big for me, is is reaching out to people and setting up, you know, people to go to meals with, people, you know, just to check in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been very much more um, cognizant of the fact that disorder thrives in silence and aloneness and in shame. And so the more that I can surround myself, the more that I can create like a community that, you know, like the the less space there is for it to hide. Have you found that sharing this uh, with your audience, doing stuff like this, have you found this to be therapeutic for you? Absolutely. I mean, I hate to say that it's a selfish endeavor um, That because pe- people ask me like, why did you share? Is it to inspire other people? And I'm like, yes, but in, in, I mean, uh, honestly, the vast majority is very therapeutic for myself um, to be able to talk through these things and learn things. And then I learn things from other people who then reach out to me and share their stories. Um, and I think that it just, it, in some ways it helps you to not feel so alone. Yeah. I think it makes it, sometimes you'll have a problem or an issue and by telling other people, it makes it real. You know, yeah. when you keep it to yourself, it's like, eh, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not really an right. issue or whatever. But then I, I told my best friend, 
okay, now they know I'm mm-hmm. anxious or depressed or whatever. A big part of uh, of treating destructive type behaviors is in the past has been a spiritual practice. Have you incorporated anything like that for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think... <laughs> so I was born and raised Catholic, which we won't get into. Um, but I mean, I... No, I God, no, 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 I like don't want to offend anybody with religious stuff. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, it is very much um, just a practice of like being aware and being present, and you know, meditation and stillness um, and things like that are very are very important to me. Um, and you know, I whatever your spiritual practice or whatnot, I think it is very important to kind of like hold space for that. Mm-hmm. So. Have you already had to use some of the tools that you acquired while you were up in Seattle? Like, you know, caught yourself getting ready to maybe slip back on a behavior or something where you, and you're like, Oh fuck, that's, this could be leading to this. Yeah. Have you ever had to use? Absolutely. And and here's the thing. And so a part of me in sharing this, like with a lot of people, is also strange accountability mechanism. Totally. <laughs> I mean, in a weird way, because now I have like thousands and thousands of people who can keep me <laughs> accountable. Um, but I also am aware that that can create then pressure that I have to do recovery perfectly, mm. that I have to be doing X, Y, and Z perfectly and then be this recovery model. And, um, so I'm really, really telling myself, giving myself grace that like, I have slips, I have days where I don't eat all of the things that I know I should be eating, you know, but like, just because I slipped, it doesn't mean that I failed. And then like, oh, just toss everything out. And all the progress that I made is now like back at, you know, Mm -hmm. like just starting from square one, you know, cause that used to be my mindset. And so now I'm just like, you know, no, like today wasn't a great day, but tomorrow can be a better day. You know, and it's going to be very, very up and down. And it's going to be that way for a long time, I'm sure. Now, going through this uh, therapy, were you able to kind of visualize like what, like who you're going to be going forward? And, and did that change your identity at all in terms of like admitting this and then, you know, being super competitive? Is that going to change at all? Or like, how are you going to kind of move forward with this? Yeah, I've, I've wrestled with that a lot. I mean, I feel like now I feel like more my authentic self. I remember the day after I posted my blog and um, like, and I went for a run the next day and I just remember just feeling like a weight, like a thousand pound weight that I could finally be myself. Um, but then, then reality started to like seep in. And then I was like, oh wait, now people may be judging me for my <laughs> actions because like people are like, should you be running while you're in dis- <laughs> in recovery for an eating disorder? And I'm like, wait, can I now, can I talk about being an athlete and running? And, but I've just come to this point where I'm like, Somebody said, uh, uh, another client in a group, um, my first day in treatment, said something offhand, and she goes, you know, your path. And I wrote it down, and it kind of stuck with me, because I realized like that my recovery journey, my path to like health and like and myself is not going to look like somebody else's and no two peoples are going to be the same. So I'm just, I hold that statement in my mind Mm -hmm. and know like really what feels authentic to me and then to go with that and Mm -hmm. to try and, and I know there will be chatter and noise that, you know, what I'm doing isn't necessarily right or everybody has an opinion, but if it works for me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm so glad that they were open to talking to you about your your exercise because workouts can definitely be tools of uh of, of therapy. Um yeah. even if your even if your problem has to do with either body image or food, it can be a very effective therapy for some people and some people it can be a negative tool. And I can only imagine if you had stopped, had to stop working out on top of doing the stuff with food, how difficult that was. I'd imagine that's a very fine dance for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that you, you, do you have that right now where you're like, okay, I want to run, but then do I need to punish myself run or do I just run to be therapeutic? Can I use food now as fuel primarily? Right. Yeah. Well, it it is kind of an interesting, so one of the things that I have learned and that what we came to realize is actually my relationship is with movement has been very healthy. Like when I ask people, like, how do I know if my relationship with movement is healthy? 
Um, and granted, I'm not an expert, but this is what I've learned. So I will share my thoughts on it is really is being curious about your motivations behind it. Like, do you compensate in food be if whether or not you are able to work out that day? Um, you know, do you, does your opinion of yourself change like based on, uh, like, were you hitting a certain goal time, um, for your runs and things like that? Or like, like in looking forward to if if you have, you know, a workout or a run that day, are you looking forward? Are you jazzed about it? Are you excited about it? Or are you dreading it? Mm-hmm. And if you're dreading it, why are you still forcing yourself to do it? And like, so it's very being curious about those motivations and intentions. And for me, it's always been like, I wake up in the morning so fucking pumped that I get to run. Mm-hmm. Like so excited, Yeah, you know? And it's not, it's never been about like the time on the watch or, you know, the calories burned. And it's not about like the food around it. It's just being out there with nature and being jazzed about that. But I think for some people, they see movement as punishment. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, fuck, I ate too much of the day and now I need to go like spend right. an hour and a half on the elliptical. That's not fun, totally. you know? <laughs> Do you, is, is your mind most still when you're running and working out? It's funny because I, in some ways it's still, um, and in some ways it is also very, like that's when I work through a lot of things in my mind. Because you're still. Yeah. 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 Because you're still, you can't work through hard things when your mind is in the future, in the past, all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's only when it's still. That's what I found. Mm -hmm. Wow. On your, in terms of your eating, what were your, what were the foods that you were most afraid of? And, And are you, have you been able to eat those foods now? Yeah, it's it's a funny question. So as it, talking about about how nobody new to eating disorders look the same, is that I actually because people were people's big question was always like, but what about the pop tarts? Were you actually eating the pop tarts? <laughs> and I was like, actually, yes, I was. My I didn't fit into like an orthorexia type of you know like the fear of like bad, the fear of bad. Fear, yeah. I was actually the opposite. The vast majority of my food was like what we would call quote unquote junk food and processed food and candy. It was like, if I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat the things that are like the tastiest oh, and the wow. best. Um, so I actually, it was like harder for me to sit down to eat a meal of, you know, like, like mashed potatoes and chicken or something like that. Because I was like, well, if I'm going to eat, man, I want to eat like a bowl of ice cream, not like, uh, like these good. So mine was totally, totally different. Um, but yeah, I think that now the biggest thing for me is actually feeling how much better I feel in my, like at my body feels when Mm. I'm actually properly nourishing it. Um, and just in terms of like recovery and just like, you know, from workouts and things like that. Um, and so like, I still have, I'm always going to have like a sweet tooth and be that type of person, but it is very interesting in terms of once we, when you stop making foods off limits and things like that, and you allow for food abundance and you allow for everything to be a part of your palate, then things become less scary mm. for sure. Is there a part of you that's like, oh, okay, I performed really good when I wasn't <laughs> eating that good. Now right. I can't wait to see what I can do. There's, a, I mean, there's a part of me. And I mean, that gives me hope. That actually really gives me hope. Um, but I have to admit that my biggest thing is I still feel like I'm working through almost a lot of, I hate to use the word PTSD, but um, fear about my body breaking just because it's mm. been a pattern for me. And for so many years, you know, these past few years, it's like I'll run healthily for a little bit and then bam, another bone will break and then bam, another bone will break. And I've kind of gone through this grieving process of thinking of like, you know, have I really just destroyed my body beyond repair? Like, even if I feed it properly now, like, am I still, is 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 it too little too late? Hmm. But I don't know. Have they identified the the mechanistic reasons behind those breaks? Were, were, were there no. mineral density tests done and maybe hormones? Yeah. So, I mean, I am I mean, classic uh, relative energy deficiency in sport, um, reds S uh, type of, I, I am your model. I was, um, so my bone density is actually, it's lower, but it's, it's been stable and it's, it's pretty normal. But I, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, I wasn't getting my period for a good 
10, mm-hmm. 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know because I had an IUD. Um, but I'm sure in the, in the back, my, if I really wanted to be honest with myself, I knew. Um, but I started seeing an endocrinologist in like 2016 and they started running tests and they're like, yeah, you have zero estrogen, zero estrogen. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, and so I think that in looking, I mean, I know that that had to be just under fueling. Um, yeah, that's connected then, to, to to fractures and mm-hmm, whatnot. Absolutely, absolutely. And so in trying to, like bring the estrogen back into the realm, you know, and then that's, that's, that comes through proper nutrition. And also, and the other thing is, is tapering down, um, activity levels too. And that mainly it comes in the form of like, like easy movement, but not like super high heart rate. Like, cause you can't, when you stress your body and like you, all the cortisol and everything like that, then mm-hmm. that is actually going to signal to a female body that it's in a state where it should not be producing children. Mm-hmm. So that's when the estrogen like supply like goes away. So for anyone who out there who's struggling with like trying to regain periods for sure, like very high intensity, very high volume type of movement mm-hmm. is going to have a negative impact on that because your body mm-hmm. thinks that it's in a time of stress where it shouldn't have kids. Yeah. Have, have you, did they discuss uh, like hormone therapy or are you keeping this natural and seeing if you can get things to come back through just through nutrition? Yeah. So I started on actually an estrogen patch mm-hmm. um, and um, as kind of not as kind of like a, a tied me over, sure. I guess. Um, yeah, because there's there's some acute health issues that you want. Right. Yeah, and that's so that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so that was just you know do some exogenous estrogen while my body like goes through this, and then hopefully it will start naturally producing it on its own. Now, what are some of the changes that you've noticed since you've gone on you've done, gone on the estrogen patch, but mm-hmm. also started to change nutrition? I'm assuming eating more, eating more yeah. of different foods. What have you noticed in terms of how you feel physically and both mentally and emotionally? I think I, well, what's funny is I actually feel one, one. so when you restrict, when you don't feed yourself properly, you also like, I think it's, for me, I always found like, I just, I felt empty and hollow, but it, that was kind of like a safe place. Like I wasn't really feeling feelings. Like mm-hmm. I was actually very kind of even keel because I guess I was just kind of like a shell. And now I actually have so many emotions like all the time, (laughs) which is, I don't know, like a blessing or a curse, but I just am very much more like up and down, but that's, that's my nature. And, and that's how I was as a very little kid. I was a very temperamental little kid. I was very fiery. Um, and I think I spent many, many years trying to beat that out of myself. Mm. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm coming in the back, the point where like now I feel that again and recognizing like, yeah, no, that's, that can be a good thing. You know? Oh, are you trying to make friends with your feelings? Right. I'm totally making friends with my feelings. Yeah. I watched it. I watched a, a short documentary on, um, uh, it was on anxiety and it, they had some mm. monks on there discussing yeah. mindfulness and they did some studies. You should probably you should check this one. It's called Mind Explained on Netflix if you haven't seen it. Mm. And they showed that monks felt just as much pain when they were going through tests as other people, but they felt it, they perceived it as far less unpleasant. And the reason being yeah. is they make peace with what yeah. they're feeling. They make friends with it. And so one of the guys on there's like, I had terrible anxiety attacks and then I just started working on mindfulness. I still feel it. He goes, but I'm friends with it. So it doesn't affect me in the same way anymore. Yeah. So it's kind of this interesting practice. What's your feedback been from your from your audience about coming out and talking about all these different things? Has it been mostly positive? Absolutely mostly positive. And I'm very, very thankful um, for that, um, clearly. I think that I am aware of the, clearly we're all super aware of like that very small negative percentage that tends to disagree with you. Uh, I'm sure I, I'm sure you guys understand this, um, mm-hmm. but I think it is. Also, we call them idiots. Right. <laughs> but it is very acute for me being in the sports world um, and, and being where I am and especially trying to navigate, navigate a culture that is so consumed with diet mentality mm. and wellness mentality and wellness culture. And I'll be totally honest, like in, even in talking to you guys, like I have issues with the fact that some, like you guys promote programs about, you know, like 
cutting your body to look a certain way and promoting certain diets and talking about that. And like that gives me pause because Mm -hmm. part of me is like, well, that's they're feeding the diet mentality, feeding the wellness culture. Um, And that's and that's hard for me because I'm very much in this bubble where I'm like health at every size and intuitive eating Mm. and all diets are bad and you shouldn't diet, you know, and trying to shape your body is a bad thing, et cetera, et cetera. And so it is kind of this strange area for me to kind of navigate. And I'm sure that as I go through this, I'll figure out how I feel all about it. I'm glad you, I'm very, very happy that you actually said what you said, because I don't think the key is to avoid things. And I also don't think the key is to obsess about things. I think the key is to be okay with talking about things, not feel obsessed by them, not identify with them. You know, it's like uh, it's like self-image versus body image. Mm-hmm. You can have an objective body image. I can look in the mirror and say, my right leg is shorter than my left leg, for example. Or, you know, I have, you know, uh, I don't have, you know, nice looking delts or whatever. Right. Maybe not even judge it. Maybe just be very objective. But that doesn't mean my self-image has mm-hmm. to change. I'm still a good, I'm still a human. I still deserve right. respect and I'm still a good person. And so I think it's important that we, we we still talk about these things, but talk about them in ways where they're, you know, we're not encouraging people to identify. It's not, well, it's not well, we're all yeah. trying to like find our most authentic self. And that's yeah. why I appreciate, yeah, like going through that process, you're trying to get closer to that. And then also like how we can, how we can benefit uh, ourselves and be in a more healthy state. So all these things work better. And I think that, you know, the end goal is really to just have people find that path where they can find themselves and, mm-hmm. and be optimal and be healthy. Well, this is yeah. actually why we actually, we actually don't recommend diets. Right. Um, we discuss all of them. Right. You discuss them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we discuss them, one of the things that we try, and, we, and I think we, we are a part of this industry that likes to, uh, you know, create camps of mm-hmm. my diet is better than your diet. And that's one of the things that we, I think, pride ourselves on is trying to destroy all those barriers and right. help people understand that, you know, the ketogenic diet, if you have certain issues, may be the right diet to help you. If you're somebody who's completely opposite of that, the vegan diet might be, they all, it's not like, and, and honestly, this is something we talk about all the time too, is that diet's a made up fucking word. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's true. It's all made up. This is all made up <laughs> right. shit. So these people that try and get in these camps and say my way is better than the other way, that it's all bullshit. All yeah. of it is. It's really about having a better relationship with food yourself and understanding what your body needs. And yeah. to Sal's point, you don't have to you don't have to look at yourself and say, like, oh, I I, I need to eat a certain way to look a certain way. I think that's something that I we, I think that's what's propelled us, uh, I think, in this space is that we have a different voice when we talk about mm-hmm. food and exercise and, and, and working out and all that stuff. I think that there's um, – I think in our space, we have more disorder exercise – uh, disorders and more eating disorders than in the general population. Oh my God. Oh, abs- yeah. We're, we're the worst. Oh, the fitness and wellness and health space has got the worst. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, every trainer that's ever worked with me has had right. uh, issues with uh, with food. It's so. what motivated most of us. And that's what we it's share. what motivated me to work All out. of us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, what the irony in all of it is all these kids and people that are looking up and aspire to be like these, these you know, model looking physiques and shit don't realize that most of those people that have had that much success with their physique or yeah. or training is because they have some sort of a fucked up relationship yeah. with oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, and that's why when people ask me, and it happened to me on the street the other day, a woman came up to me and was like, you have an incredible body. What do you do? Mm. And I go, I'm in recovery for an eating disorder. You straight told her that like that. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing lately. And I mean, how do they respond to you? Yeah, so I've had a varied number of responses. Most of them are like, ah, uh, <laughs> right, yeah. uh, right, and and so when I hate, and I mean, part of me kind of feels bad because they see it as a compliment. But like, I'm really on this mission that we just need to stop complimenting people's bodies or stop fo- focusing on people's bodies because mm. you can. I have looked quote unquote fit as shit and I have been injured and disordered Mm -hmm. and then I know some of the people who can go out there and crush and perform well and they may not have the physique that everybody aspires to but they are in a way healthier spot totally and and here's a big one that we think we completely forget um, especially in fitness 
the emotional component, the relationships you have with people and yourself is a massive part of your health. We mm -hmm. all focus on working out yep. and diet and we forget about the other big parts of health. In fact, I, I, there was a study that I covered uh, a few podcasts ago that showed that having bad relationships in your life or not having close relationships in your life is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Oh, yeah. And having good relationships and having a good emotional and mental well-being is better for your health on its own than compared to just exercise yeah. or just diet. Has Through this process, how, how have your relationships improved because you're working through this process or have they changed at all? Absolutely. I mean, I think my relationships, I've really what I've been trying to do is focus on like focus on the the quote-unquote people that matter like the people that I've known forever like the people that have had my back you know and 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 to quiet the noise you know to quiet everything like that and honestly as much as I say that my the impetus as much as it would be easy for me to say that the impetus behind me seeking treatment was because of injuries and wanting to be healthy and get back to sport Honestly, it was more so I could be fully present in relationships mm. um, because I, for better or worse, food is a very social part of of, of our culture as it should be. Um, and I found myself shutting down and closing off from relationships because I didn't want to be in situations around food or I couldn't even be present with people because I was fucking starving, you mm -hmm. know? Like I could not be like physically present with a person because my mind was obsessing about food. Mm. Um, and so a, like a huge part of this was for me to like be able to be present and to build better relationships. When you were in past relationships, were yeah. you able to disguise this or were you upfront about it with like, I can't, I'm like picturing yeah. you on a date, you know, yeah. I, I want to take you to dinner and we go have a big steak dinner or what about that? Are you being right. open about it? Are you hiding? Like how, how's that play I out? I mean, it depends on the, the, like if it's a first date, I normally probably would hide. Now, now I've, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm pretty, right. Sure, right. pretty sure a first date, a new person would know. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, it was a lot of white knuckling. So it was a lot of that. I could, I could kind of fake it. I could find a kind of fake it, but like internally I was a mess, mm. absolute mess. Um, and, but I mean, in, in longer term relationships and, you know, and I had a series of, of long-term relationships, like they knew. Okay. Um, and, and I, and I would, and I would tell them, I would tell my significant other. Um, but I think that they've very much also just like, kind of like my parents felt helpless because they could pick up on things and see me kind of, like slowly killing myself and not know how to, what to do about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I commend you on your, on your courage for doing this. I know you've helped a lot of people. There's a lot of people that follow you and sometimes what you need to make that next step is to, to hear one of your heroes say, Hey, mm -hmm. you know, this is what I'm, what mm -hmm. I'm doing too. Are you, are you at the point yet where you feel okay eating with friends or do you, or is that still something you try and do on your own at the moment? Oh no, absolutely. I love, I mean, I am part of, I, it's still a bit more nerve wracking for me to eat with others just because now I also feel like there are eyes on me watching right, me. Sure, right. <laughs> um, but it's, it's almost like that is the part of going through recovery that is been like that is so important for me to have back to be able to the night before, you know, a race or things like that, to be able to go out and eat with the other athletes, you know, and to be able to be part of those social situations. So that's been really important for me. Excellent. How are you feeling right now? You feeling pretty, pretty strong and hopeful? I'm feeling really good. Yeah, you good. look great. You do. You. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I know you said don't compliment. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't talk about my yeah, body. Yeah. No, yeah. Your, your, your energy. Your energy. Yes. Exactly. Yes, you're glowing. Your yeah. energy is. Confidence is, and everything is, is great. Yeah, phenomenal. And, uh, and when we talked about this uh, in Tahoe two years ago, you know, you and I had an off camera yeah. kind of discussion about this. Um, and, um, you know, at that moment I was like, and I think I told you, I said, you, you have, this is a book or this is something mm -hmm. you need to tell other people because you, you, you know, you're a high performing athlete, a woman, a lot of other girls and young girls look up to. And so you're in this unique op, you know, position to help a lot of people in well, a space it, that needs it. And you're, yeah, yeah. It, it's more common than people think. It's yeah. super no, it's common. Very, very yeah. common. I mean, it's actually disheartening almost to me how common it is because it feels almost in a way overwhelming. It's like, okay, this is so pervasive. 
how do we fix this? And I really think, I mean, it's it's a lot of what you guys do, like talking around the culture, like trying to dismantle these myths. Um, and it's, but we need a cultural shift. And what we what we need is a cultural shift that stops, like, to be honest, the huge thing that's hurting us all is like the weight stigma, is people looking at people in larger bodies and being like, that's undesirable and whatnot, you know? And, and then so everyone is fearful of, quote unquote, being fat, you know? Yeah. And then this is like the self-perpetuating thing that happens. And so it's gonna have to require this, very fundamental culture shift. Well, you said something earlier that, uh, that is, is key, and we we position it a, a slightly different, not yeah. different in the sense that your point is is wrong. Your point is absolutely right, but we position it in a, a little bit of a different way. You said, you know, there's no foods that are bad, and, and they all have value. That's a hundred percent true. The the key is understanding the value of each food, and knowing that some foods you okay, it's okay to know that some foods are not going to fuel my body for my workout. Right. I'm eating a cupcake. This might not be the best food for my muscle building goals or whatever. Right. It may not be the best food for my gut microbiome, but it's my daughter's birthday. Yeah. And right now this food is amazing for my soul. Exactly. And right now I'm exactly. connecting with the family around me. Mm -hmm. um, it's also, you know, learning how to value ourselves and take care of ourselves. It's funny, you know, I've worked with a lot of clients who've had similar issues and it's funny because Oftentimes they pass them down to their kids, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're excellent with their children. And I've had conversations with them and said, how can you take care of your child so differently than yourself? They said, well, I love my kid. Mm. So it's about loving yourself. Yeah. Like, like as if you were taking care of somebody it, you cared about. It's actually yeah. a, a, a really simple concept. It's just difficult Super. for people to do consistently. And yeah. one of the things that I think helped me when I was coaching clients through stuff like this is that, Stop connecting the food to how you look. Forget mm -hmm. all about that and connect it to all the other things that it serves. Your skin, your hair, your sleep, your energy levels. Your emotions. Yeah, your, your emotions. Your, yeah, emotion, like, all those things. That That's one thing that I've actually learned. So a huge thing for me is that I think that we have demonized having an appetite in this in this culture, especially, is that like you know, that it, it's, you should suppress your appetite. You shouldn't listen. If your hunger is a bad thing, like you shouldn't listen to your hunger. And like, if you ignore your hunger, then you're better. And said, like, when did having an appetite become a bad thing? It's because it's marketed. It's an uncomfortable feeling, just like sad is right. an uncomfortable feeling. And so we're marketing to people to suppress or to ignore, Yeah. but you, but it's a normal feeling. You need to have it. It's okay to feel hungry sometimes. It's okay to be sad sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like giving everybody antidepressants. No, right. you can never feel sad. Well, you, yeah. you're supposed to. Yeah, you're supposed to you're sometimes. Supposed to. Yeah. Sometimes sadness is a good thing. Yes, <laughs> you know, what it. what foods make you happy now, or what what foods bring life to you now? Are there any yet? Yeah, no, there are tons, and it's funny. And I go through phases because now it's really like I'm really kind of connecting to when I think about like what I'm going to eat for that day. I'm like, okay, like what really sounds good right now? And I go through waves of where like for right now, like. I've been eating a lot of Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies, which probably, <laughs> oh like, God, let's yes. talk. Nutritionally, are they going to, like, I mean, yes. Nutritional profile, not great. But emotionally, it, like, connects me back. So when I was in seventh grade, I used to eat one every single day at lunch. I would buy one at the counter, like, 50 cents or something like that. And it's, like, for me now, it's also just connecting foods to, like, emotions mm -hmm. and, like, and how I was before all of this started, you know, and f experiencing kind of like that freedom. Mm. And then I'll go in waves and then noticing that other days, like I don't want an oatmeal cream pie. I want a really big salad, you know, and kind of just like going through that and understanding that, um, like I remember talking to my um, my dietician uh, when I was at Opal and I was like, but I, I was like, I'm afraid, I'm like, all I want right now is cereal. And I'm afraid that if I just keep eating cereal, like I'm just never gonna stop, like stop. I'm, all I'm gonna want is like cereal for the rest of my life. And she's like, eat as much cereal as you want. And like, eventually you probably want something else. And so that's, I went through this phase where it was just like cereal all the time. And then I was like, okay, moving on to something else. <laughs> you know? Because when you've spent so long, like forbidding yourself to eat something, and then you like, allow yourself then and then it's amazing actually how the body then when you cue into it, it yeah because it becomes an obsessive thought and you got to yeah. break that you got to break that cycle it's like if someone has an obsessive fear they'll, they'll tell the person is 
okay, well, live out that fear through your mind. Yeah. Live yeah. it all the way Confront out. It, yeah. Right. And then it'll it'll oftentimes stop, which is true. I mean, I think exposure therapy is huge because whenever you like have something that's super massive scary and then you do it, you sit with the discomfort, you realize it's not so that so bad and you do it again, mm-hmm. next time it's a little less scary. And it mm-hmm. works for so many things well beyond eating totally. disorders. How's your physical performance now? Are you noticing any improvements in physical performance or the way you feel because your nutrition is... Yeah, I mean, I just feel I have so energy was never really an issue for me, but more just like my all like the tendons and ligaments and everything like that. Just everything just feels better. You know, it's hard to I feel stronger um, in terms of just being able to, you know, like be out there and just like just like physical strength and whatnot um so yeah it's like nothing that i can super quantify because i really don't keep metrics Mm -hmm. but um it is just kind of a feeling i guess are you uh more or less the same amount of strength training where are you at with your strength training right now yeah so i i'm pretty i'm actually a bit more um so i've really focused and that's more and i so here's the thing. I only advocate doing movement that you enjoy, except there are, and I hate strength training, but mm. so it's hard, but I realize that it's sometimes there are movements that you need to do to stay healthy, to do other things. Totally. So that's like, for me, I'm like, if I have an hour, I'd rather go for a run. But if I have an hour, I know that doing some like heavy strength training will actually be more beneficial for me in the long term. So, um, yeah, definitely. Right on. Definitely doing that, especially for bone bone density. Right. Yeah, best thing you could do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Amelia, thank you for coming on and yeah. talking about this to our audience. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, Always a good time it. with you. Always. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.